Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. With our same place opponent shows behind us, we keep moving forward with our opponent previews. Now with the AFC North, and we get things started with last year's fourth place team in the Cleveland Browns. Can the Browns get themselves out of the cellar, or are they destined to stay there? Josh Edwards from 24-7 Sports joins us on part one of the AFC North preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. As we get closer to the beginning of the 2017 season, we trudge through these slow and lonely months of the NFL offseason. And this time we're talking about the AFC North, kicking it off with the Cleveland Browns. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for part one of the AFC North preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. And like I said, we go from worst to first with our division previews when we start at the bottom. Uh, with the Cleveland Browns, a team that has perennially been at the bottom of its division since returning uh, to the NFL from its short break um, in the uh, you know short break from the NFL when the when the original Browns became the Baltimore Ravens and uh, the NFL decided that uh, the Browns would retain the team name or Cleveland would retain the, the retain, retain the team name, the team colors, and the team history. And even though the uh, the Ravens were essentially the Browns East, they would basically be an expansion team for 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 you know for uh, for lack of a better term, um, new team, new colors, new new history, uh, and so on. Even though basically they were the Cleveland Browns uh, when they went on to win the Super Bowl a few years uh, later. So you know this is a team, and you'll hear me tell Josh. I've already spoken with him. Josh Edwards, 247sports.com. Uh, for him, it's uh, cle.247sports.com, uh, editor-in-chief of the page for the Browns. Um, you know, I have somewhat of a sentimental attachment to the Browns because when I was first cutting my teeth uh, on the NFL and uh, and such, you know, uh, I, ca- I came into the league as a child of the 80s watching the Bears and, and their great Ditka teams in the, in the 80s and some of the best playoff games that have ever been played took place between that, that you know, in 86, 87 alone, the two AFC championship games between the Browns and the Broncos. I mean, two historic games. They both have names. You know exactly what name, what game I'm talking about when I talk about the drive. And you know exactly what game I'm talking about when I talk about the fumble. Both of those AFC championship games between the Browns and the Broncos were historic in that they were knocked down, drag out, down to the wire, finish games between the two best teams in the AFC. There was no arguing that 
uh, at the time. Those were the two teams that were supposed to be there playing for the right to go to the Super Bowl, and it came down to the last moment for both games. Um, you know, unfortunately for the Browns, the Broncos won both of them and ended up getting their asses handed to them in the Super Bowl, but, you know, that's uh, neither here nor there. So I've always kind of had a sentimental attachment to the Browns because of those great teams and how good, you know, the Cleveland Browns didn't used to be the joke or the butt of the joke uh, in the NFL. They weren't a team that was always picking in the top three uh, in the NFL draft each and every year. They weren't always a team that had coaches, you know, that defined the term coaching carousel because they, you know, one coach is here and they've had several GMs since they first came back into the league again and, and so on and so forth. So they didn't used to be that way. They, they, this is actually a, a tradition rich team, you know, that has a, in a very, a championship heavy uh, history. If you go back to the beginning uh, of the franchise and uh, when, when Paul Brown uh, was the head coach of the team and then how he basically defined modern coaching. He was the first one that hired coaches year round. He was one of the first coaches ever that did film study to study opponents' tendencies and things like that. He really brought forth uh, coaching to be a profession uh, in his time. The guy was way ahead of his time as far as the things uh, that he did and, and implemented and things that are done by everyone today that, uh, you know, people couldn't imagine doing uh, back then. But, um, you know, you hear me touch on that a bit uh, with Josh, and, and uh, we get into the guts of, you know, we kind of glaze over 2016 because there's not really a whole lot to talk about there. They had one victory in 16 games. And, um, you know, we talk about the free agent acquisitions, their draft, and the future is more of the, the guts of the conversation that we have uh, about the, the Browns. Because when you're 1-15, there's nowhere to go but up, and there's nothing to look forward to but the future. You don't look back because of the glory days and so on and so forth. There's really no such thing. The Browns haven't been in the playoffs since 2002. The, the closest they ever got was, I believe, 07, 2007, where, where they got off to that really hot star, Derek Anderson and, and Braylon Edwards, and they were lighting up the NFL, and then they, they kind of fell apart uh, towards the end of the season, ended up not making the, uh, the playoffs. And that's as close as they've gotten uh, since then. So it's uh, it's a franchise that is uh, desperate for success. But, you know, um, with with LeBron winning championships in Cleveland or winning the title last year back in the NBA finals right now, the Cubs and the Indians last year in the World Series, maybe things are turning around to where teams that used to suck for a living will actually get better uh, again. And I, for one, as an amateur NFL historian, would enjoy seeing the Browns have some level of success because it also would mean that something different is happening uh, in the NFL. And we're not seeing the same old stuff with the, uh, you know, the Steelers always winning the division and them being the only team that makes the playoffs and so on and so forth. So eventually it's going to be Cleveland's turn to win that division. And uh, let's hope we're all alive to see this. So uh, anyway, just got a few quick things we want to get to uh, coming out of OTAs for our beloved Chicago bears. Um, before we get to our discussion with Josh uh, about the Browns, um, an interesting day. I believe it was Tuesday that all of this happened. Uh, right after Memorial Day, um, uh, the news comes over the wire. The Bears have officially signed Victor Cruz. So he finally signs his, his contract, and therefore the Bears have to make a roster move to make room for him on the 90-man roster. And... Very surprisingly and very sadly, that name was Connor Shaw, 
the Bears ended up waving Connor Shaw to make room for Victor Cruz. Well, then that day in practice in OTAs, Mark Sanchez, our other uh, reserve quarterback, injures his left knee. So because of the left knee injury, the Bears rescinded the waiver request. So basically, he I think it was something like um, what happened was it has to the, the, the Bears can put the you can put the waiver request on file, but it doesn't go through until like 3 p.m. Eastern or something like that. Uh, Sanchez's injury happened in OTA sometime in the in the early to late mornings. So it happened in enough time that the Bears were able to rescind the waiver request before it went through at three o'clock Eastern. Therefore, there are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Connor Shaw was basically never cut from the team and ended up being like a, a reserve wide receiver so that we could keep Connor Shaw on while Mark Sanchez nurses his injury. They say it's a minor injury. He'll be good to go by training camp, but... Connor Shaw had an interesting day where he puts out a tweet saying, you know, thank you for the opportunity, you know, hopeful all the best, look forward to new, new opportunities and so on and so forth. And then he replied to his own tweet with a, um, a meme of Lee Corso, the college football guy from ESPN saying his own as ever so famous, not so fast, my friend, you know, he's not a former bear yet anyway. So he still might not make it to training camp or be cut very early on based on, the moves the Bears have made thus far, but, um, you know, the entrance of Victor Cruz um, uh, initially meant the exit of Connor Shaw, but uh, thanks to some stroke of luck, depending on how you want to look at it, because I didn't want to see Connor Shaw go, but, um, you know, he's still on the team for now, and uh, we'll see how much longer he gets to uh, stick around, and uh, maybe these extra reps that he's going to take between now and, um, and training camp will help turn the odds in his favor because we know we got what we got in Sanchez the the advantage that Sanchez has over Shaw is simply experience um you know because the potential that we saw in Connor Shaw we know that the guy is is talented he can play but you know we're, we're talking about him going head-to-head with a guy who's got you know 100 starts or something like that under his belt versus a guy who's started maybe one or two games for the Cleveland Browns in 2015 or something like that so um, yeah, and there's really no comparison when it comes to that, you know, a veteran guy that can also help with Trubisky and so on and so forth. You know, he's definitely got the intangibles as far as being ahead of Shaw, but as far as like bear fans who we want to see out there on the field or on the roster, uh, we would vote Shaw in a million times over Sanchez. So, um, other things to look at, um, of course the day after I release, an episode saying that Kevin White isn't practicing in OTAs. 
Kevin White practice at OTAs this week, uh, was talking to the press about saying that um, he knew that year number three was the year that he needed to uh, turn it on or turn it up and, uh, and get things done. He's not going to dwell on what happened in the first two years. Uh, sounds like he's at the very least mentally strong and, and, and doing his best to drown out the, the doubters, the haters, whatever you want to call them, uh, for him being a, a top 10 draft choice that's played four games and has yet to score a touchdown uh, in his uh, short NFL career. Uh, looks like a guy that's ready to embrace the opportunity that's in front of him because if he can if he plays well he's the number one guy that's why we drafted him we drafted him to replace Al, uh, excuse me not even to replace Alshon Jeffrey to replace Brandon Marshall you know he was supposed to take the place of Brandon Marshall to help bookend with Alshon Jeffrey and he hasn't been healthy enough to make even anything remotely close to that happen you know it's just it's unfortunate that just as he was starting to get his feet under him, uh, no pun intended, um, he re-injures that leg in the in the best game that he was having that season. He gets hurt in the second quarter in the first half of his fourth game. He re-injures. He had I think he caught like six balls in the first half. He was having a pretty good day when he when the injury came and thus you know therefore ending uh, the season right underneath him uh, like that. But he is practicing, and um, you know. He's got Victor Cruz, Kendall Wright, Marcus Wheaton. You know, it's a crowded wide receiving core. He's definitely going to have to make a name for himself. His drafts, his draft status um, really doesn't mean much anymore, you know, because like I said last week, um, if he has another season, well, I mean, first of all, I'd like to see him play this year. So it really hasn't been so much that he hasn't played well. It's that he hasn't played at all. But if he has another year where he gets hurt or he misses time, what are the odds that the Bears are going to keep him around next year? I mean, especially with the mishmash of of receivers that we have right now. I mean, we've got we've got depth, we've got numbers, we've got bodies, you know, but we don't really have any number one guys yet. And as just based on his draft status and, and and his talent level in college, Kevin White is supposed to be that guy. This was supposed to be uh, not only was he supposed to be the replacement for Brandon Marshall, but he was supposed to be the safety net in case we lost Alshon Jeffrey because in 2015, when Kevin White was drafted, that was the, the end of Alshon's rookie contract. So he was going to be a free agent if we didn't franchise him and so on and so forth. So at the very least, Kevin White was supposed to be a bridge between um, you know, Alshon and whoever was going to come uh, after him. So, you know, But now both Marshall and Jeffrey are gone. Kevin White's really going to have to step up because he was supposed to be the guy and now he's going to have to play like it. And if he wants to have a career beyond Chicago, he's definitely going to have to pull it off uh, this year. So, And then um, in other injury news and OTAs, I know this is the last thing anybody wants to hear. The guy who actually probably is our number one receiver right now, Cameron Meredith, injured his thumb uh, in OTAs on Thursday, I believe and um, is going to miss the remainder uh, of OTA. So these voluntaries OTAs that we're having now, the mandatory ones that will happen later this month uh, before the Bears and uh, before the players in general have about uh, three weeks or so off before training camp starts at the end of July. Uh, Cameron Meredith is going to miss all of that. So, But uh, it, it is pretty much regarded as a minor injury. Um, let's see. He is expected to return 
for the start of training camp, uh, suffered a thumb in a thumb ligament injury per Adam Schefter uh, of ESPN. So we'll see how that will uh, that will shake out. So you know, Bears are expecting or hoping and expecting big things out of Cameron Meredith. This will be his third year uh, in the league. He did he did some things in 2015. Uh, really stepped up last year when we needed him in 2016. Was I think he had the most catches. Uh, on the team, definitely our most reliable receiver. Not that we had, not that that's saying much comparing to, <laughs> to the rest of the receiving core. But, you know, he's definitely um, outplayed his, uh, his stock as far as the Bears having to sign him as an undrafted rookie free agent. You know, he's definitely playing a lot better than most of the guys that, that were drafted ahead of him uh, in 2015, including uh, Kevin White. So, and then uh, finally, in, in interesting trans or transaction moves, uh, the Bears claiming former Lions fullback Michael Burton off of ways, waivers, so he will stay in division. And um, I don't remember who it was that the Bears cut to to make room for him. I think it was another DB or receiver or something like that to, to make room for him. But um, Bears are going into camp with two fullbacks because one of our – the other fullback is a rookie free agent out of Florida State, if I'm not mistaken – uh, that we have. So I'm um, basically, I guess we're going to see if uh, Dal Loggins is going to make any use of a fullback uh, in the offense uh, this year, maybe to um, lighten up the, the beating that um, Jordan Howard will take from time to time. Since, you know, when you don't have a lead blocker, you're making first contact uh, with the defenders. So we'll see if maybe getting a, getting a force field in front of him will uh, lessen the blows that he's going to have to take uh, this year because, um, God knows, unless we come out firing and throwing footballs all over the field, um, Jordan Howard's going to be looking, and, and maybe that's another reason as well, is that because we don't really have a receiving threat for uh, defenses to be concerned about, um, we're going to be looking at a lot of eight-man boxes for Jordan Howard, and having a fullback to help try to cut down on you know taking out some of those extra defenders, probably not a bad idea uh, looking forward. So this would actually could be a smart move for the Bears to prepare for what they know they're going to face on offense with Jordan Howard being their only viable, worrisome weapon uh, on that side of the ball that, um, you know, defenses are definitely going to be gearing up to try to force the Bears to throw the ball by shutting down uh, Jordan Howard early in offense. So having a fullback in the offense to try to get through that, to have a blocker to make contact with that second level to get or to help get Jordan Howard to the second level probably a smart thing uh to do so uh that's all we have uh, for that news and notes uh right now and uh just before we get to josh um you know we are getting into the afc north now uh we're gonna have kyle phelps on the show later this weekend um well that's a, today is sunday so the show will be up either tonight or first thing uh monday morning depending on when you're listening to this um it's gonna be talking to kyle phelps next weekend i think on saturday so that show will be out either saturday or sunday um, Matthew Stevens for the Ravens. I'll be talking to him uh, sometime next week. And then uh, Jeff Hartman uh, for the uh, for the Steelers from the SB Nation page for them. Be having him on to wrap up the AFC North. So they're going to start coming hard and heavy uh, going on. And then we get into the um, AFC, excuse me, NFC South, uh, the Falcons, the, um, the Falcons, the Saints, the Buccaneers, and the Panthers before we step into the NFC North to finish things off with our good friends Evan Western, Jeremy Reisman, and 
Chris Gates uh, from the Daily Norseman. So uh, looking forward to all of that. And, um, you know, with every show that we do, we are one show closer to wrapping things up with our beloved Chicago Bears. I'm kind of interested to see who I'm going to be able to get on the show this year to talk about the Bears with us and, um, you know, getting to training camp and the preseason. And finally, the regular season, just to see what's this team going to be this year you know and and what what questions can it answer about what 2018 is going to hold for us is it is it going to be a new head coach is it going to be a new head coach and a new gm um you know are we going to have either of those things are we going to play well enough that everyone gets to stay and finish out their contract in 2018 or are we hitting the reset button again uh in 2018 and drafting high and so on and so forth so We'll uh, we'll see. And, uh, you know, this guy that we're about to talk to right now, Josh Edwards, he plays, uh, you know, he represents the Browns, and that's a team that we play week 16. And by the time that we get to talk to Josh again at the end of December, when the Bears and the Browns are ready to play each other, we're going to have answers to all those questions. You know, are we going to be looking for a new GM? Are we going to be looking for a new head coach? Are the Browns going to be looking for those things? And you hear me ask him uh, in the interview, how is important are wins as far as keeping people together uh, and, and everything. Is it better for Hugh Jackson to go three and 13, but the Browns are a much more competitive team or does he need to win six or seven games to be sure to return uh, in 2018? We'll get Josh's take on that and his thoughts. And is that the same thing for the bears? You know, do the bears, can the bears be six and 10 or five and 11 but me much more competitive, kind of like they were in 2015, where they were a bounce away from winning a few more games and being a, an, an eight or nine win team in 2015. Or do the Bears actually have to finish eight and eight, nine and seven, and make some noise, you know, in the playoff slash wild card hunt in order for everyone to be able to come back next year? What's the patience level like with the organization at this point? Is is it? Are we really feeling the crunch of a team that hasn't made the playoffs in this decade? Or are we being patient with this new regime as our GM slowly rebuilds this team through the draft and so on? So, you know, like I said, by the time we talk to Josh again at the end of December, we'll have the answers. Uh, We'll pretty much have those answers, uh, those questions answered for us. So anyway, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and and step out and and, uh, bring forth our good friend, uh, our new friend, I should say, Josh Edwards from uh, 24-7 Sports to talk about the Cleveland Browns and what the, what, the, what the future holds for them in 2017 and beyond. Kicking things off with the AFC North preview, as we do, we, we always go from from worst to first. I mean, somebody's got to finish in fourth place. And last year, uh, it was the Cleveland Browns with a spectacularly bad record of one and fifteen. Not that my beloved did any better at three three and thirteen, but uh, to help us go through the what was in twenty sixteen and what hopefully will be in twenty seventeen, Josh Edwards from twenty four seven Sports editor-in-chief of uh, Cleveland Browns on, on their page. And, uh, Josh, thanks so much uh, for coming to the jo- uh, join me here on the Chicago Bears Review. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. So this has kind of been a, 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 um, a journey for you and I, Josh. I contacted you last year when I was, when I was in search uh, of, a, of a New York Giants 
uh, guy. That was like one of the one of the teams that I had a hell of a time finding a person for last year. Yep. And somehow I randomly selected you. I sent you an email asking if you wanted to be on the show, and you're like, uh, "I'm not the Giants guy. I'm more of a you know a Cleveland Cleveland Browns uh, guy." So. Um, you know, if you want to talk to me about the Cleveland Browns, that's cool. And I kind of tucked that in my back pocket, knowing that we were playing the AFC North. So here we are finally in 2017 about to preview this season uh, for the Bears and the Browns. So, uh, you know, like I said, it's been quite the quite the journey uh, getting you to, to be on the show. So this is kind of a long time coming thing. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, anytime, uh, anytime you can talk football in June, I think it's a win-win, right? Absolutely. So... Uh, you did say uh, just before we got started that you were a Cleveland Browns fan. So is this like a lifelong thing? Are you from the Cleveland area? Because I know you said you live in Cincinnati now, but were you from Cleveland? Yeah. Is Dad a Browns fan? Is that how that happened? How, how does that? Uh, what's what's the lineage there? Yeah, so it's uh, it's a little bit untraditional, I guess, in uh, in in the sense of most people in their fandom. But I grew up in Southeast Ohio, and we did not have a professional sports team at all. Um, really small town, so. My dad had gone and done a co-op in Cleveland and kind of adopted the the Browns as his own team. He was originally from Louisville, but um, no professional team there either, of course. So uh, when he did his co-op in Cleveland, became a Browns fan. Um, and then you know how it goes. You just kind of adopt the, the beloved teams of your, your parents. So right. um, here I am, 20, 26 miserable years later of football. So <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's uh, never a dull time, I guess, when you're following the Browns. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, d so did that make you a Cleveland Indians fan as well? Yeah, so baseball was, was my first love. So I, I was more of a baseball fan growing up. Um, and then it kind of de developed into football into a lesser um, extreme, the, the Cavaliers as well. So right. uh, kind of the whole package at this point. Right, so... So I mean, you know, I know you guys. I'm I'm from the north side of Chicago, so I'm a huge uh, Cubs fan. But um, you know, regardless yeah. of you guys coming out on the losing end, that was probably. I mean, I'm not really even a baseball guy, but that was easily, you know, one of the best World Series that I can ever remember. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everybody would love to say, you know, they were on the winning end of that that series, but yeah, I mean, in terms of you know baseball historians and just the game itself, I mean, you really couldn't have scripted a better story. Um, for the Cubs to kind of, you know, come back and expel some of those demons and, you know, in their drought. So, yeah, um, and I thought was, you, I, it was crazy to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Roger Davis home run, man. I thought you guys had us after that. I was like, as a Cubs fan, there's always that moment where, you know, your stomach sinks, your head drops to the floor. You're like, oh, Christ, here we go again. And him <laughs> cranking that three run homer off of Chapman, who was unhittable for the most part in the postseason and it's just like oh geez here it is this is the moment well, was, this is where it, it happens was, yeah yeah it was one of those things it was funny because cleveland fans in general are kind of the same way they're not used to having good things happen and right they're kind of right. expecting the worst so uh from what i understand both both sides of the fan bases were uh you know basically just waiting for it all to crumble and you know unravel <laughs> but uh somebody eventually had to win and, and right. it was uh the cubs last year yeah, so I guess it was. That's why. That's what made it such a significant series. Is like, dude, somebody's streak is going to end here. Somebody's sorrow is going yeah. to be over. Yeah. So, I guess that was one of the more exciting things about the series. Like one way or the other, somebody's going to end. I think it was like sixty something years for the for the for the Indians and over a hundred yeah. as, as we know yeah. for the 
for the Cubs. But back to back to football. Now, I, I admit that I have somewhat of a sentimental attachment to the Browns, and that's because when I was coming up, um, you know, I'm a I'm a child of the '80s. So when I came up, the the first real year that I was into football was, at, ironically enough, '85 when the Bears decided to destroy the entire world and route to their first championship. <laughs> but yeah. but but coming up from then, 86, 87, 88, those were the years that the Browns and the Broncos had some of the best playoff games ever. And unfortunately, they, they came out yeah. on the losing end uh, of those games. Then you had you know the Belichick years just before they moved out of Cleveland, and then they came back in, in 99. So I've always kind of had this sentimental attachment especially to these Browns since they came back in 99 hoping that they could get back to what they had before um before the the Browns moved to Baltimore and became uh the Ravens you know how how old were you when that happened when they when they left town uh see when they moved I was I was uh I would have been about five years old I guess okay so uh you know and I know a little bit about that of course it's kind of funny because everybody you know immediately associates the browns with losing but you know they were one of the super bowl favorites um prior to moving to baltimore and when all the rumors kind of started swirling that they were potentially moving i think it kind of got into the minds of the team and uh the season didn't go as well as what everyone had hoped but uh just haven't really been able to and get any sort of winning and you know established ground at all um since that time so yeah, it's. I don't remember a whole lot from that time, but um, you know, it's part of the part of the storied history of the Browns. Right. I mean, they were they were gone for what four, four or five seasons before returning in '99, yeah. and they've been a perennial bottom dweller for the most part in that division uh, since returning yeah. uh, to the league. And uh, you know, they had that one playoff run in 2002 with Kelly Holcomb and you know at the quarterback yeah. and and you know given the the Steelers a scare in the wild card round before losing on that one and that's as close as they've come to to playoff uh playoff football since then um how close do you guys think you are with with Hugh Jackson because it, it to me it was a relief to finally see them give a guy a second year to coach the team uh even after having the season that they had last season it seems like they have a a you know a regime in place that's that's willing to play the long game as opposed to yeah. uh, you know the owner wanting them to to win the super bowl after going 1 in 15 the year before yeah uh the owner that they had before jimmy haslam was uh was was not one of the most respected owners in the nfl i mean he was he loved the he loved the browns but he just um did not have any sort of business acumen as it related to building a team um, so when he sold the team to Jimmy Haslam, it was kind of a, a relief, um, I guess, in that sense. Haslam doesn't have any ties to the team, but uh, he's at least got a bit, little bit of a business background. He worked with the Steelers um, as a minor, minority shareholder, and um, you know that's one of the premier franchises in our league that you know has kind of been winning for a long time and done it the right way. So I think a lot of Browns fans had hope for that reason. Um, and then Hugh Jackson, as far as Hugh Jackson's concerned, I mean, the players love him, the city loves him. Um, you know, I really have not heard a negative word about him since he took over. And, and quite frankly, everybody's got this baited sense of, of optimism with him guiding the team. So, uh, realistically, this is not going to be a playoff contending year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think in two or three years, you have to start considering Cleveland to be more of a, a, a legitimate, um, at least threat in each individual game. 
Right, especially as all these um, these high draft picks you guys have had the last several years start to uh, to come into their own uh, and everything. Yeah. So, um, you know, and and the thing about Hugh Jackson was I I, I always kind of felt bad for him that one year that he was out there in Oakland was you know like I mean and Oakland was like the was like the Browns where they were constantly in last place. They're you know never really getting anything to work out bad draft choices and bad luck with the good draft choices and uh and so forth and the one year he's out there they finish 500 for the first time in how many years and then you know al davis dies and they go in a different direction and fire him after after one season uh, and everything and this was him getting his second chance uh at head coaching and then he goes with the uh with the browns and has that first year they start 0 and 14 i was like geez they're gonna fire this guy just because yeah. and you know to, to hear that he got a second year was was kind of a relief uh for me because like you said he's one of those coaches that you never really hear anyone say a bad thing about and uh one that the the, the Bengals for sure were very sad to let go yeah he deserved his opportunity i mean he, he he's a good friend of marvin lewis um and that's why he ended up in cincinnati after the oakland uh kind of debacle reggie mckenzie fired him but Mm-hmm. Um, you know, talk about a guy that really just paid his dues when he got to Cincinnati because he's he's known as an offensive mind, but when he took his first job at Cincinnati after Oakland, it was on the defensive side of the ball. So, um, you know, he kind of worked his way back into the offensive coordinator role a couple years later, um, and then ultimately Cleveland came calling. But, yeah, he's 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 been great for the city. So um, excited to see what this this year brings because they've made a lot of additions this offseason. Okay. Well, real quickly, let's go over last year. I mean, it was one in fifteen, so there's really not much to to talk about as far as last season was concerned. But as I'm, I was looking at the the win loss record. You know, I mean, how do Cleveland fans look? At? I mean, even the most optimistic. I mean, if you look back on the year, you know, do most people look at you guys just a crappy one in fifteen team and you were lucky to win that one game? Or as I'm looking here, I see. You know, week two, 25 to 20 uh, to the Ravens. Lost in overtime to the Dolphins, week three. Um, 28-26, lost to the Titans. Uh, uh, 28-21 to the the Jets. Um, You know, a lot of close games in there. Um, You know, so is it, this was like, yeah, we were 1-15, and but we could have been 6-10 and or 7-9 and if we, you know, got a little bit of luck to go our way. Or was it, you know, yeah, these guys were 1-15 and and they deserve to be that way. Yeah, Cleveland was the youngest team in the NFL last year. So mm-hmm. um, just with any team, you kind of develop a winning mentality and kind of what it takes to win, um, you know, over the course of your career in the NFL. And that's simply what Cleveland didn't have last year. Um, as you mentioned, there were a handful of games that were close and, um, you know, it could have gone either way, specifically that game against Miami. Uh, they had just brought in Cody Parkey um, to be their new kicker uh, prior to that game. He hadn't even taken a kick before he stepped onto the field against Miami that week. And, uh, you know, they put him out there for a game-winning field goal, and he missed it. And then, you know, the rest is history. The Dolphins went on to win the game. Um, and, you know, that was kind of the way it went throughout the whole year. There were opportunities, but they just didn't didn't make the most of them. Um, and then finally when the Chargers game came, it was it was just a big sigh of relief. But um, at, the, at the same time, as the season started to develop, everybody had kind of targeted Miles Garrett um, to be the top overall choice. So everybody kind of had their eye on the 49ers, um, even while this, the the Browns season was going on. So uh, that first win against the Chargers was kind of bittersweet because 
nobody wanted to go 0-16, but they also didn't want to miss the chance to draft Miles Garrett. So, uh, fortunately, everything ended up working out, but it was just kind of funny how that whole season played out. But um, I would say most people just had a negative opinion of the Browns, which was probably rightfully so. I mean, they didn't have a lot of talent on the roster last year. And, um, you know, as as you said, they're a perennial bottom dweller. So in the NFL, you kind of have to earn that respect over a number of years before you ever start getting any sort of respect back. Um, and that's simply what the Browns have been dealing with. Everybody, you know, just kind of assumed that they, they were going to be the doormat. And I think that one of the problems is, and actually one of the things that I think the Bears have as far as um, a, a problem as to why they can't sustain uh, success is that for the longest time, you know, you know, most of the most organizations that are successful are successful from the top all the way down uh, to the bottom and up top with the ownership and the constant GM firings and bringing new coaches in. I mean, how many new head coaches has Joe Thomas, you know, had uh, since he joined the team in 2007? I mean, he. You know, it's it just yeah. got to the point where you know it's it's funny to him uh, how it keeps happening each and every year. But for some reason, God bless him, the guy wants to stay in Cleveland. I guess he just wants to be there, win something, if anything happens uh, for the yeah. uh, for the Browns. I mean, the you know a lot of people, including myself, think that the Bears might be better off once they uh, finally get loose of the McCaskies and the you know the Hallis. Uh, family because the you know that just seems to be such a problem uh or you know or one would think uh anyway that it's being poorly run from the top down and now it seems yeah. like you know now the browns have at least from the gm and and and, and in the in the new owner and haslam and such that you know things are finally calming down that they might actually allow the you know the coach and the gm to to build something from the ground up yeah absolutely I, you know you uh we touched on this earlier with with uh, Jimmy Haslam coming from the Steelers. I mean, the Rooney family, uh, you know, has been a staple in the NFL for the longest time. They, you know, were the ones that kind of helped pave the way for the Rooney rule, and um, you know, they've they've just constantly won. So, I think for him to kind of have that firsthand experience of what it was like to build a winning team and sustain a winning team in the NFL was just crucial. Right. Um, for him as an owner and then the Browns itself. But, you know, the Browns fans were were like, you know, here it goes, here it goes again after the first year because they fired Rob Chetzinski. And, you know, it, it, the more things changed, the more it stayed the same. So, right. um, fortunately, Hugh Jackson has gotten a couple years. They, they made that clear in, in the beginning that he was going to get multiple years regardless of, um, you know, what happened because they completely stripped that team. Yeah, before the season, it, it was really a total. Did. It yeah. was a total rebuild. So it was like rats off a sinking ship last year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they got rid of Carlos Dansby, Dante Whitner. Um, you know, they let all their guys walk. Travis Benjamin, Alex, Alex Mack, Mack went on yeah. to, um, you know, the, the Super Bowl with the Falcons. So they lost a lot of talent, and it's really hard to, you know, give a coach a fair evaluation, um, in that kind of a setting. So, um. More, more interested to see what Hugh is able to do as as he starts, you know, kind of bringing in his own guys. Speaking of bringing in his own guys, let's talk about free agency. Um, what did the Browns do in free agency? Because if I did, they was this another year where they had a ton of cap space? Because the one move that I know that they made for sure was where they basically accepted Brock Osweiler for nothing from the. 
Houston Texans. I mean, it was more about what the Texans did than the fact that the Browns took him. Was basically like they swapped picks in in the later rounds, and Brock Osweiler was you know was the the in the end of it, um, you know basically giving him away for for nothing, uh, for the most part. But aside from that, yeah. what other moves did the Browns make in free agency this year? Yeah, so they went out and they they really addressed their offensive line, um, which you know is important in the NFL. Obviously, with with both lines of scrimmage, that's where it all starts. So. Right. Uh, you know, they, they retained one of their own offensive guards, Joel Batonio, um, gave him a massive extension, and then they also went out and signed uh, center J.C. Treader from the Green Bay Packers. Right, that's right. Well okay, as, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as well as uh, Kevin Zeitler from the Bengals. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they really, really improved their offensive line this offseason. Um, running the ball is going to be a big focus this year, so that was crucial. But beyond that, their biggest move was – um, just bringing in Kenny Britt, uh, the wide receiver from the Rams, because he was kind of uh, the replacement for Terrell Pryor, who, who left in, in free agency to the Redskins. So right. um, if anything, it was that was more so to level the playing field from what Pryor left, because um, it's, it's not viewed as an upgrade over Pryor. But right. uh, the Browns spent a lot of money. I mean, they retained... You know, a lot of their own guys, Jamie Collins, uh, cornerback Jamar Taylor. They just gave linebacker Christian Kirksey an extension. So, um, you know, they started to to spend a lot more money and and retain their own players. So outside of the Brock Osweiler trade, those would be the the biggest additions that they made. So what is the story with Brock Osweiler? Because it was kind of a thing where basically – I mean, I remember you know them doing segments on this on on the NFL Network. On it was it happened on the first day of free agency, and then basically mm-hmm. news of the trade comes through, and then all of a sudden people are talking about well, Cleveland's probably just going to cut him anyway because why would they hang on yeah. to this guy that's got a sixteen million dollar uh, cap figure and so on uh, and so forth. And then as OTAs begin, Hugh Jackson is singing the praises uh, of Brock Osweiler and, and so on. So. What's the story there? Are they just talking him up so they can trade him later, or actually, are they actually happy to have Brock Osweiler on board? Well, that's the thing. I think that's what a lot of teams are trying to decipher right now. I right. think, uh, you know, in, in terms of what Hugh Jackson is saying and, um, you know, Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network even, you know, cited a separate source that kind of supported Hugh Jackson's claim that, that Osweiler has, you know, done everything that they've asked of him. You know, he's been great so far, so... Um, it, it, you know, I myself wonder if they're trying to set him up for a trade as well. Uh, that's certainly crossed my mind, but right now it's anybody's guess. I mean, they've, they've made it clear that Cody Kessler is going to get the opportunity to, to start and be the starter for them this year. Um, but there's, there's some people who think Osweiler could factor into the equation too. So we'll see. I think that's definitely one of the more intriguing storylines to kind of follow as training camp rolls around because um you know as fans get out there as the media gets more of a chance to see these guys in person it's going to become pretty evident in a hurry um whether or not osweiler was was truly making some progress or if it was just all talk but um you know there's reason to believe that it is possible because osweiler while he wasn't great in denver he was a solid quarterback um there was reason that that the Broncos were willing to offer him as much as they did before he ultimately took a similar deal with the Texans. 
Um, you know, Hugh Jackson's great with quarterbacks, so that's another positive. And just Bill O'Brien beating Houston, it's it's incredibly tough to play quarterback for him. He he demands a lot of his quarterbacks. So um, there's a lot of reasons to support the ideology that potentially Osweiler could compete and be better than the version that we saw last year. But um, I'm more on the realistic side that thinks it's probably a bit overblown, especially in some you know some practices where players are running around in shorts and just playing pitch and catch. Right. Um, so I'm a little little uh, slower to jump on the bandwagon as some others have been. So where do you sit on that? Do you want to see Osweiler get a shot? Do you want to stick with Cody Kessler? Do you want to see Deshaun Kaiser, who you guys drafted in the second round? Do you want to see him mm-hmm. get a shot? Who do you want leading the team on the field when it when it comes to it? Uh, personally, I would I would give the job to Kessler right now. He was he was not fantastic by any stretch of the imagination last year, but um, you know he's a good he's a guy that operates well under pressure. Um, he delivers an accurate football. I mean it's it's he, he's not the best at pushing the ball downfield um, and completing those long throws, but he is he is accurate. You can't take that away from him. Um, but he spent a lot of time this offseason trying to get stronger. Uh, which in turn is going to help him push the ball down the field a little bit more. But, you know, there is this sense of curiosity with Osweiler as well. You know, what what is he truly? Was was he truly as bad as, as what it looked last year? Or, you know, was it kind of a, a, a figment of our imagination? Because we've kind of seen two different quarterbacks in the past two years. Yeah. So this is almost like a, in, in, in baseball sense, this is almost like a rubber match. You know, which side is ultimately going to win out? Which side is actually, you know, the true version of Brock Osweiler? So um, that's that's definitely a big thing for me. That's that's um, something I'm looking forward to figuring out as well. But in terms of Kaiser, I mean, he's he's obviously a guy that, um, you know, played all right there at Notre Dame. He's a local kid from Toledo. Um, I think ideally anytime you take a quarterback early, you kind of hope to sit him and, and allow him to kind of learn your system and, um, you know, grow comfortable with his climate before you throw him out there. So I would not want to see Kaiser play this season personally, but at the same time, if the Browns are going to have a top choice next year with this loaded draft class of, you know, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen from Wyoming, they're going to have to know what they have in Kaiser. And there's only way to one way to figure that out. That's to put him on the field. So Right. Um, it's going to be interesting. I think Kessler or Osweiler ultimately start the season, and then depending on how it progresses, you probably see more of Kaiser as the year goes on. You think the Browns are hoping for another Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Sam Bradford situation where they've got, uh, hey, we've got a guy right here, Brock Osweiler, you know, ready to go. All you got to do, dangle us, uh, dangle a draft pick in front of us, and you know, off he goes, or you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I imagine fans of the Bears were, were kind of feeling the same thing I was when, um, you know, we kind of found out the terms of that Sam Bradford trade. It was just yes. mind-blowing it was. what the, uh, the Vikings gave up to, to get him. And, yeah. um, you know, I think every team kind of hopes to fall into that sort of position. It was kind of similar with um, Carson Palmer and the Oakland Raiders a handful of years back. He was – he was basically retired. He wasn't participating with the Bengals at all, but they were still somehow able to get a King's ransom for him Yeah, that was... um, in a trade to Oakland. So, yeah. And the, this this front office with the Browns is, 
has shown that, you know, they're willing to do anything to basically take on these high draft choices and keep them. That was the primary driving force of, you know, the Osweiler trade. They got a second round pick and also, um, you know, anything is, anything is on the table in terms of that group acquiring a, a draft pick. And ideally, if somebody's willing to give up a high pick for Osweiler, you move them. Absolutely. So, um, so we move on to the, to the draft and day one, you know, which is basically just the first round, the Browns make a huge splash. They, they, I mean, there was a lot of rumors about Hugh Jackson being in love with Mitch Trubisky and you know, that he might be the number one overall pick, which of course got teams like my bears at number three and, and, uh, San Francisco excited that miles Garrett might actually make it past uh, the Browns, but then in, when it all came down to it, no surprises. You know, Cleveland goes ahead and takes the overall best pick or best prospect in the draft, yeah. and, and going and getting Garrett first. They trade back from twelve down to twenty-five. Was that was it? The Texans they traded with there. Yeah, it was the Texans. Yeah, because yeah, they moved up to get Deshaun, the Deshaun Watson. Watson, and so they trade back to twenty-five. They get Jabril Peppers, and then move back into the first round at 29 to take David Njoku, the tight end uh, from Miami, Mm -hmm. who's, you know, all about as raw talented as there is a prospect in the draft, but talented enough that he had to go uh, in the first round. So day one, you get three top guys who are probably going to play right away and help this team or make an impact with the draft class from day one. Yeah. You know, just as it relates to Trubisky, I think – I think the driving force more so behind that was um, general manager Sashi Brown and potentially even the owner, you know, because every owner would like to have a franchise quarterback kind of leading their team. It makes it easier to sell tickets. Um, but Hugh Jackson, from everything I understand, wanted Miles Garrett from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he obviously wanted a quarterback, but not at the expense of Garrett. And then when Chicago traded up to get Trubisky that kind of took that option off the board because realistically I think Cleveland would have considered him if he had fallen to number 12 right um, and I think they would have considered Patrick Mahomes if he had fallen to 12 but he went to pick before to Kansas City yep um, after Kansas City traded up so uh, and then they just didn't feel the difference between Deshaun Watson and Deshaun Kaiser was was great enough to take him at number 12 so I was a big fan of what they did in the first round I was a little bit unsure of Jabril um, at first, before kind of digging more into his his role with the Browns defense, um, you know, any a, anybody that was kind of evaluating him in the draft process made it clear that they just weren't sure where he was going to fit. Um, you know, is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? Um, you know, what is he going to bring to the table? So, and he also only had like two interceptions, I guess, in his his days at Michigan. So, there were some concerns, but in terms of a of a fit there probably was not a better defensive fit for Jabril Peppers in the NFL than uh, with Greg Williams and the Browns, because he's got a very specific role in him. That's, that's going to call for him more to play in the box. Um, So he's almost going to be a third linebacker of sorts. Kind of like the Marcus Joyner was with the Rams over the past couple of years under Greg Williams. So I think that was a great fit. Um, David Njoku, the Browns don't have a lot of wide receivers right now, um, specifically ones that Bears fans have probably heard of. <laughs> so to add another guy like Njoku is, is just great because, you know, he allows them to put 
a couple of tight end sets out there instead of, you know, trying to force something to a wide receiver that you're not necessarily confident in. Um, and then just to kind of, you know, to sweeten the deal, everybody kind of thought that the Steelers were targeting both Peppers and Njoku um, with their late first round selection. And then Cleveland moved up in front of them to take both. So uh, that was kind of a, a win for Browns fans in itself. Right. Always good to do something uh, like that. So especially is, is, is Pittsburgh the, the rival for, for Cleveland or is it the in-state thing with Cincinnati? Yeah, it's funny because a lot of people ask me this from time to time. And, and honestly, it's, it is the Steelers is the biggest rival. It always has been the Steelers. Um, the number two would be the Ravens, um, and that's you know simply because they yeah, they took Cleveland's team. Yeah, no, no, that's no, a, no, a, no, uh, no, no surprises there. Yeah, right, right. And although Cincinnati's kind of gotten the better of the matchup, you know, in recent years, the Bengals are almost irrelevant in the minds of Browns fans. It's it's not not that big of a rivalry whatsoever. Um, even living in the city of Cincinnati, you can just kind of tell that it's not quite, you know, on the same levels as the Steelers and the Ravens. You know, I've always kind of gotten a sense, I mean, just watching like NFL films and, and things like that, 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 that Browns fans have always kind of felt better or, you know, seen themselves as better than Cincinnati because of the whole, Mm -hmm. you know, when, when Paul Brown left and created the Bengals, he basically molded the Bengals in the Browns image. You know, they had basically the same colors and, and very similar uniforms and everything when they first came uh, into the, into the NFL. So I guess maybe Browns fans have always kind of looked at the Bengals as, as a, you know, a ripoff or the, you know, that younger brother that's always kind of hanging around uh, you know, thing with them. Like historically, that's how I've always felt that they've kind of looked at at Cincinnati. Even though, especially in in recent years, Cincinnati, like you said, has gotten the better uh, of that matchup. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, you know, there's definitely a very distinct relationship between the Browns, the Bengals, and Paul Brown. Obviously, Paul Brown started with the Browns, and you know, got them the majority of their championships. Was was very well accomplished. Um, when he was with the Browns, he was an innovator in terms of, you know, the rules and kind of the stuff that we use, the communication and games and things. So, uh, I, that's a, that's a guy that probably doesn't get enough credit in NFL yeah, right. circles in yeah. terms of the history. But um, yeah, I mean, once, once the Bengals kind of took him after the Browns parted ways, it was it was almost like you know you're taking our cast off. So why are we going to respect you? Right. Um, and then Cleveland ultimately got the better of, of that matchup as well. So, yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that's kind of where it all kind of started. Yeah, I just remember seeing the you know the like watching old NFL films and and uh, you know how how they they are like a more of a red orange and black team now, but before it was you know very close to the orange that the Browns had and the black was closer to brown. It was very weird when they first came around before they finally put yeah. the stripes on the helmet they basically look like the same team when they were when they were out there um you know uh playing playing in the game uh and whatnot so right uh to round up the the draft here you got deshaun kaiser in the in the second round from notre dame we already talked about what what the expectations for him might be especially with that draft class looming uh next season but then day three uh or at the cap off day two um I don't have any problem pronouncing his first name because it's mine. 
uh, Larry <laughs> Ogunjobi or Ogunjobi. 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 Yep. Okay, maybe I mistyped that then. Uh, UNC Charlotte defensive tackle, and then day three, um, the most interesting pick that I see is Roderick Johnson, an offensive tackle from Florida State that you guys got in the fifth round. But I saw people taking him in mock drafts and like the second or third round. So you guys think you got a steal getting him day three? Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the general feeling as it is in Cleveland. He's uh and Cleveland kinda of did the same thing with with uh Sean Coleman out of Auburn last year. He's he's probably gonna be the starter at right tackle this year, but he essentially redshirted his first season. He only played sixty two snaps last year. Mm-hmm. Um so he's probably gonna be the starter this year after kind of learning uh, the ropes from Joe Thomas, which there's no no better player in the NFL to learn the offensive tackle position from than Joe Thomas. Right. Um, and Ro- Roderick Johnson's kind of doing the same thing. He's he's actually the reserve left tackle behind Thomas, so um, he's going to get a firsthand account of you know what makes Joe Thomas tick. Um, you know how he's able to kind of stay in the upper echelon of the game, and then Thomas has an opt out in his contract after this year, uh, which you wouldn't expect him to take based on his, his comments over the years, but right. um, that's certainly a, a, an insurance policy for the Browns if he does decide to move on. But yeah, Johnson's one of those guys that, that, you know, draft evaluator, draft evaluators feel that they got a good deal in um, Florida defensive tackle. Caleb Brantley is kind of another one. He right. was kind of viewed as a second or third round pick, but because of his, his ongoing legal situation at the time, um, he kind of slipped to the Browns in the sixth round and um, was ultimately cleared of those charges. So uh, kind of hoping for a lot out of those two guys, but Brantley probably makes more of an impact than Johnson. We probably don't see Johnson at least for a year or two because um, Joe Thomas hasn't missed a snap since he's entered the league in 2007. So yeah, that guy. Um, probably probably a little bit before we see how he's developed. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan uh, of his as, a, as an old offensive tackle. Uh, myself and my, you know, college and, and high school, uh, you know, I've always, always admired, uh, especially left tackles um, more than anything. Yeah. Uh, and he's been the left tackle, you know, and it's, it's, you know, you hate to say it, but it's been almost a, uh, you know, uh, an unfortunate thing that he's been in Cleveland because he does have that respect as far as the NFL community is concerned, but as far as being, you know, one of the bigger names in just sports, because he's been playing on losing teams his entire career, you know, no one really knows much about Joe Thomas. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's made 10 Pro Bowls in 10 seasons and, Jeez. you know, hasn't made a playoff appearance. So uh, you got to feel for the guy in that regard because, yeah. you know, just being an NFL player, how competitive you have to be um, so to kind of endure all that losing over the years. And as you mentioned earlier, all the coaching changes and GM changes, it's got to be frustrating. So, yeah, um, more so than anything, that's that's another reason to kind of hope that, you know, Hugh Jackson kind of has the team on the right path. But, um, you know, Joe Thomas is just a great person off the field as well. He's a guy that's easy to root for. Um, you know, we saw a lot of draft picks skip the draft this year, The you know, the big festivities in Philadelphia to kind of stay home and be with family and things like that. And Joe Thomas was kind of one of the first ones to really yeah. pioneer that trend yeah, he went when he fishing. was taken with a number of number. Yeah. He was out on uh, Lake Michigan, I believe catching fish and, you know, had to tell his driver that they needed to be close to shore. Um, whenever the, the Browns came on the clock. So, 
that was uh, definitely one of the one of the more interesting draft stories because at that time the NFL was kind of forcing guys to kind of go to the draft. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't really the cool thing to do to not attend the draft. So right, um, he kind of did his own thing, and you know, he's he hasn't been a problem since. So, or at the very least, you uh, you didn't uh, you didn't decline the invitation the way that he did. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, now now people do it all the time. Miles Garrett wasn't in Philadelphia uh, when he was picked right. first overall, and 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 so on. So it's it's um, it's not that big a deal for someone not to be there uh, anymore. But uh, you know, like you're right. I, I think Joe Thomas was one of the first, especially considering that he was going to go two, three, four. Like he wasn't going to get past the top five. Uh, so he definitely yeah. needed to be one of those green room guys, and he decided he would rather be out on the boat with his dad fishing instead of uh, being in New York. Yep. So we move ahead to to the schedule. And this year you're playing the NFC North, which is why we're talking. Uh, and let's see, the mm-hmm. AFC South. Yeah, the AFC South. You've mm-hmm. got the Colts, the Texans, yep. the Titans. Um, the one thing that I am noticing is that um, it looks like with the Browns, at least, the NFL's going to break their everyone-has-to-play-on-Thursday rule with the Browns this year because every <laughs> yeah. every game that, that I looked at, I mean, I made sure I looked at like three different websites to make sure I didn't read it wrong. Every game the Browns play this year is on Sunday. Yep, I guess when you're uh, when you're, when you're that bad, you just uh, can't can't afford to put a team like that on on prime time. I guess so. <laughs> they got to kind of earn their stripes again this year before they get on prime time again. But they are playing in the UK against the Vikings. That's kind of like yep. their one big prime time game, if you will. But of course, it's that game that's going to kick off at eight thirty in the morning Central Time, uh, at least. Um, yeah. But uh, they're playing the Vikings in the UK before their bye week, uh, week number. Uh, week number nine, so um, you know they do get to play a a top tier game, uh, if you will. But everything else is Sunday at one, Sunday at one, Sunday at one, Sunday at one, except for their West yeah. Coast trip to yep. play the Chargers uh, later on. But uh, everything you can pretty much bank on it. If it's you know like here in in the Midwest, the kickoff is at noon, noon on Sunday. The Browns are playing football. You can you can basically you can bank on it. So um, yep. Absolutely. Do you prefer that? You know, because like me, uh, when when the Bears have a, have a big season, they always have like five national TV games. They're on Monday night twice. They're on Sunday night football this many times, and obviously they're going to play a Thursday night game and so on. And it, as much as I hate to see the Bears lose, I kind of prefer, as far as the schedule is concerned, Sunday at noon the Bears are playing. I'm with that. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. I mean, it's it's kind of twofold. I, I guess there's pros and cons to each everybody loves you know the pomp and circumstance that comes with those primetime games and you know the the additional eyes that you know you you kind of have on your team but at the same time i'd you know cover the browns one o'clock eastern time every sunday and you know that's over four o'clock i wrap up my day about six o'clock and um, you know i'm free to kind of sit down and watch those primetime games so uh, it allows me to do more i guess with the day but um you know they're there are pros and cons to each when it, the, the thing that kind of gets me the most is those four o'clock games, because I've grown so used to covering those one o'clock games that, you know, I kind of look forward to a, a nap between the, the one o'clock <laughs> segment and, you know, those primetime games. So sure. when four o'clock rolls around, I, I get a little uh, droopy eyed, I guess um, yeah. when that kickoff comes around. Yeah, no, I definitely get what you mean. 
there. So let's dive into the schedule. And when I was looking at it, the one thing that jumped out at me right away, I was like, I like to look at the, the schedule in quarters. So for the first quarter, mm-hmm. the first four weeks of the season, three out of four games against the AFC North. So you're going to like three, three very important games right off the bat. You're home for the Steelers yeah. at the Ravens at since, or excuse me, at Indianapolis and then home for the Bengals. So three division games right off the bat, you know, so there's no easing into this thing. It's, you know, those division games are very important. And, you know, you got the, the bank, the Steelers and the Ravens right off. So rivals one and two to kick off the, uh, to kick off the season. Yeah, it's kind of reverse of what typically happens because typically Cleveland doesn't get into their divisional games until later in the season. They play one or two early, and then it kind of seems like the last six or, yeah, last four all kind of come at once. Um, and then this year they've got the Steelers in week one and the Steelers in week 17. Right, so, yeah. Um, you know, they, they begin the season and end the season with the Steelers, so that's kind of – it'll be kind of interesting to see how much both of those teams kind of transform – you know, over the course of a full season, because that's that's uh, you know four ga- four months in between both of those games, so there's a lot that can change in that time period. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Cleveland's got to come out of the, the gate and hurry, or they're just going to be buried in the AFC North, um, which they've kind of been obviously since their rebirth in 1999. But uh, you know, you kind of start following the season, and if they don't have a good you know, first half of the season, you start thinking, well, they're going to, are they going to purposely tank? You know, are they going to, are they going to put Kaiser in there to see how he does? You know, what, what are they going to do to put themselves in a position to get one of those top quarterbacks? So uh, the first quarter, the second quarter, those are both going to be just huge for the Browns this season. Yeah. Second quarter, you're, you're home for the Jets at the Texans, home for the Titans, and then you go overseas uh, as the home team. So you lose a home game this year. You're yeah, at uh, yeah. in in the UK as the home team against the uh, the Minnesota Vikings. So three out of the four are home games in that second quarter, but one of them uh, is in the UK. But you got the Jets, the Texans, the Titans, and the Vikings in the second quarter before that Week Nine dead set in the middle uh, bye week. Yeah, that's another one of the perks of being uh, one of the worst worst teams in the NFL. You get to lose one of your home games to a, a neutral national neutral international site right Um, but you know at least everybody's kind of on the same playing field that day everybody's going to have the same jet lag and um you know that kind of thing so from that sense it'll be it'll be interesting to just kind of go through that process of uh you know covering an international game and everything that comes with it but a couple of very winnable games there um you know with the jets and Mm -hmm. and that portion of the schedule the titans are obviously an improving team uh, a team that's poised to probably end their playoff throughout this season in a a very weak AFC South. So Mm -hmm. a couple winnable games in that kind of segment of of the uh, schedule. But, um, you know, every game you're kind of figuring out what Cleveland's ceiling is. You know, what are they going to be able to compete with? Are they on the Jets level who are probably going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL? Or, um, you know, are they going to go out and compete with a top? Titans team or a Vikings team so um, that'll be that'll be interesting to learn and then and you know you have the week nine bye, and it's the third quarter that batch of games right there that's where I think that the Browns could make a move if you will you're you're at Detroit to start things off home for Jacksonville you're at Cincinnati so another division game and then you're at the Chargers the one team that you did beat 
uh, last season. So you yeah. kind of got that hanging hanging over them. Um, playing uh, the Chargers in that soccer stadium they're going to be playing in, uh, in 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 L.A. while they're building the uh, the new stadium and such. So you know, I I think that's probably one of those. That's that one stretch of the season where I really think that the the, the Browns can make some noise. Yeah, they're going to have to. I mean, if that's kind of the the part of the season where we start figuring out if they're going to you know gear up to make a playoff run or are they going to pack it in and try to get the number one overall pick. Right. Um, you know, obviously the Chargers were the the lone win, as you said, last year, and you know they're going to be geared up to kind of get revenge this time and make sure that doesn't happen because that was kind of an embarrassing week for them. I, I think everybody can kind of agree to that. Um, and then as, as it relates to Cincinnati, those games are usually always pretty close. Um, I'm sure, you know, same thing in the NFC North. It's You have those divisional games, and, uh, you're so familiar with another opponent that you kind of know them inside and out, and it just makes it, you know, easier to to kind of keep the game close and compete. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then in the fourth quarter, things get a little ugly. And sadly for me to admit, the easiest game in those final four is against the Bears, um, because you got your your home for Green Bay and Baltimore. Those are your last two home games, and then you're on the road for the last two weeks at Chicago. Uh, at Pittsburgh to close things out. And like I said, in those four games, you do have the familiarity of the division with the Ravens and the Steelers. But as far as win-loss and probably talent level of the teams on that schedule, the Bears is probably the best shot at a victory in those last four weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to say that up front, obviously. But, you know, you, you start considering, okay, or where, what position are the Ravens and the Steelers in at that point in the season? Right, are they going to rest? Right you know, so-and-so on offense. I think they rested four guys on offense last year against the Browns in Week 17. Um, you know, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, ben, Big Ben, um, you know, those those traditional names. And that was obviously, you know, a good opportunity for Cleveland. They could have got a sec- second win there, but um, didn't take advantage of it. So we'll just have to see how the, the season progresses. But, you know, that's part of the, the, the time of the year where we start saying – all right, is this you know is this going to be it for Hugh Jackson if the team is sitting there with three three wins, two wins going into the final stretch of the season? Um, do you start worrying about his future, or you know do you really have faith in, in the rebuild of this team because uh, this this could definitely be a trying season. I mean, it could definitely test everybody's wits. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll see. So just looking at at the season, the schedule you guys have ahead of you. Um, being one in fifteen, there's not really anywhere to go but up, as far as wins and losses right, and I everything. <laughs> right, one would hope anyway. But I mean, what's more important this year? Is it wins or is it playing better? You know, because you know there's there's actually a difference between you know a three and thirteen team that should have won eight or nine games and a seven-win team that was lucky to win seven games. You know what I mean? It just – how yeah. do you think yeah, that, 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 that you know, fans are, are looking? Is it more important to have – I mean, you want to have the wins, but what's more important? Is it – is Hugh Jackson going to save himself? Does he have to have six or seven wins to save his job, or can he be four and 12 but have a much – but a team that's a lot closer uh, to a playoff team than, you know, than, than before? Yeah. Yeah, I think he would definitely – survive with a four and 12 season or better. But um, I I think what's important for this team this year is, is getting those victories. I don't think, 
getting close is going to be good enough for this team this season. Okay. Um, you know, because over the past year, Hugh Jackson has he did a good job of making the team feel like they were, you know, they belonged. They they weren't the most talented team on the field, but you know they were able to go out and compete regardless of the situation, um, and that's ultimately why they were in some of those games uh, that they were in. So, you know, from all the talk and the attitude that he's kind of built into the locker room, I think they really need um, to get some of those wins to kind of reinforce his message to those guys. And if they're able to do it, then, you know, Cleveland could really be onto something because they've got two first round picks again next season. They've right. got three second round picks. So, yeah. um, you know, you're, you're really working with something at that point. Yeah. I'm, I'm jealous, man. I wish we could load up on picks like that, <laughs> but thanks to, thanks to Houston. Number one, I mean, twice the the, the Texans uh, make a move for the quarterback through the Cleveland Browns. They give you uh, Brock yeah. Osweiler practically for nothing and then give you their first-round pick in 2018 so they can take uh, Deshaun Watson uh, at number 12. So, I mean, they've, uh, you know, they, they got to go through Cleveland to get their quarterbacks uh, in, their, in, in one offseason as well, which is kind of funny. So, but, um, you know, so... One one thing that I forgot to ask you at the beginning of the show that I like to ask all the people that we have on the show for the first time is you have been a fan um, of the Browns your whole life. Do you have a favorite Browns moment? You know, whether it be the, the playoff game or, you know, is there a win that sticks out or, you know, a, a win that almost was and ended up being a loss, but that was one of your favorite games ever. What would be like a favorite Browns moment for you? Yeah, it's kind of funny that, that you mentioned that because, you know, while I'm sure it's easy for a lot of, a lot of writers to kind of go back on some of the happy moments of the franchise and stuff for me, it's kind of, you know, a kind of situation that really epitomized the the Browns upon their return in 1999. And, um, you know, it came early in their rebirth against, I think it was the Packers and they had a game one. Um, and then defensive lineman Dwayne Rudd decided to take his helmet off. Uh, before he exited the field, the rest oh. threw a flag. Um, the Packers moved 15 yards closer, kicked a field goal, and won the game. So yes. uh, I think that was kind of the the moment that kind of, you know, made a – I don't know. It's, it's just kind of a good example of what being a Browns fan is like, I guess. Like, didn't he, like, sack the quarterback or something? And that ended up – like, he threw his helmet off to celebrate, and that was a fifth, like one of the first years that that became a penalty. And he chucks his helmet down the field, and he gets yeah. flagged for it. Yeah, I mean the game was over. That was that was going to be the last play of the game, and all of a sudden they had another chance to kick a field goal and pull it out, and that's ultimately yeah. what happened. Was that was that the the Browns or was or the Packers or was it like the? I want to say it was like the Bengals or the Vikings or something like that. I don't think it was Green yeah, Bay. It it might not have been Green Bay. I, that was the first team that came to mind, but. Um, I definitely remember that moment, though, for sure. I I remember that. Yeah. uh, You know, he sacked the quarterback. The ball game is over, and then thanks to him chucking his helmet twenty yards down the field, and and in celebration of that sack, it's an unsportsmanlike conduct and untimed down, and they kick a field goal to lose the game. It's like Jesus. Only in Cleveland, really, could something (laughs) like that happen? Yeah, exactly. Just wow. Wow! Yeah, for sure. Kind of That's... the same way we started. The same <laughs> way we started this segment. You kind of expect the worst to happen until something good happens, and that's right. uh, you know ultimately what happened on that on that day. Unfortunately. Well, you know, with uh, with LeBron winning the title last year and the 
Indians, you know, making it to the World Series, it looks like things are turning around for Cleveland. So maybe hopefully uh, an area that I feel like is more of a football area anyway, maybe the Browns will finally get things turned around for you guys. Yeah, everybody made a big deal that, you know, 1.3 million or something like that. I, th- I think the Cubs even beat that, but 1.3 million or so attended the Cavaliers um, championship parade. And, yeah. you know, every, it kind of forced everybody to talk about what would happen if the Browns won a championship. And that city is such a football town that, you know, it it would just be incredible for everybody to kind of experience that. Yeah, as far as the the Cubs and their parade, um, not only was it one of the bigger, one of the biggest um, championship parades, it was regarded as one of the largest gatherings of people in human history. Like there were like <laughs> like six yeah, million totally... people that showed up to that. I mean, yeah. that's how many people wanted to be part of that. I mean, that's how long it had been since the Cubs had won a World Series that that many generations of people all felt compelled to be there. Right. Yep. And they certainly earned it. For sure. Sure. It was a it was a great series. So but um you know, Josh, thanks so much uh for, for coming on to the show and we look forward to having you back later on in the season. I mean basically we'll have all of our questions answered by the next time we get the chance to talk to each other because the Bears and the Browns don't play until week sixteen. So you know, are are we going to have conversations about Kaiser versus Trubisky because we want to see what we have in our young quarterbacks or, you know, talking about, you know, so who do you guys think the Browns are going to go after in the coaching, you know, search and uh, so on and so forth? Yeah. Uh, we'll definitely have all the answers to all the questions uh, by then. You know, will that be a meaningful game in any way? Will Will we want to lose because we want better draft choices or are we actually playing for something week 16? Uh, of this season so we look forward to having you back and being able to answer all those questions yeah absolutely i would i would love to do that so that's josh edwards from uh from 24 7 sports it's uh, cle.247sports.com if you want to check out the uh page he is the editor-in-chief so you'll see his name all over how did you end up being on the the, the that's the other thing i wanted to ask you how is it that i came to you for the giants because i can like saw you headlining a lot of Giants uh, articles, and that's why I tried to contact you to see if you wanted to be my Giants guy last year. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. I mean, we didn't really have a Giants guy at the time. We do now. Okay, but, there you go. Um, I kind of kind of took on many different hats, I guess, and kind of spread myself thin in terms of you know kind of what, doing what was best for the team and um, you know getting some stuff written that needed to be written. Sure, I guess that's sure. that's ultimately how it happened and. You know, let us to hear. So that was that was um, you know, quite a, it takes. that was quite an interesting email. It's like actually, I'm not the New York Giants <laughs> guy. I'm I'm the Cleveland Browns guy. It's like, well, I wouldn't have been able to tell that at all. For more, if, you know, I was on the Giants page yeah. and I saw your name on everything. So that's why I contacted you uh, instead of other people that were writing for him at the time. So, but uh, Josh, thanks again uh, for coming on to the show. We'll look forward to. Uh, Having you back in the, well, I wanted to say the fall, but it'll be Christmas time, so it'll be the dead of winter by the time we get you back on. Yep, absolutely. Thanks, Larry. I appreciate it. I also want to thank Josh Edwards for being on the show. We look forward to having him back. Um, the Bears and the Browns play each other week 16 
uh, December 24th. We'll be playing on Christmas Eve, so we'll be talking to each other a couple of days uh, before that, and, and hopefully we'll be having very Merry Christmases. Um, if we're not going to the playoffs, then at least hope that we're playing well enough that we've got something to look forward to in 2018, except for just seeing our teams on the field uh, again, you know, to actually be optimistic and excited about what the future holds is the kind of conversation that I want to have uh, with Josh uh, when we talk again uh, in in six months. Jesus, six months from now, uh, we'll be having that conversation. So um, hopefully it will be an optimistic and, and happy uh, conversation with our teams both headed in the right direction as opposed to uh, the last couple of years where we've all basically been looking forward to the season ending so we can just move on to what's coming next. So um, anyway, uh, just, uh, you know, like I said before, um, uh, before we started the interview with Josh, that, um, you know, up next we'll have the Cincinnati Bengals and Kyle Phelps uh, from the SB Nation page for Cincy will be joining us then. Then we'll have Matt Stevens from Ravens Wire um, to talk to us about the Ravens and then Jeff Hartman from the SB Nation Pittsburgh Steelers page uh, to close out the AFC North. Before we move on to um, uh, the Panthers, the, the the Buccaneers, the Saints, and the Falcons in the a- NFC South, and then our NFC North brethren to close out our uh, opponent preview shows. Um, let's see. Today is the fourth. The Bears have OTA workouts again this week on uh, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, June 5th and 6th, and then the 8th and the 9th, so Thursday and Friday, and that will be the end of the voluntary off-season workouts. And then the week after that, uh, next, um, say, Tuesday through Thursday, the 13th through the 15th is the mandatory uh, OTA uh, mini camp for, you know, three, four days. They uh, get everybody in there for one final gathering uh, before taking off about four weeks or so before the beginning of training camp at the end uh, of July. So we're in the home stretch uh, of the off-season program here. Um, you know, another couple of weeks of, 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 you know, workouts and, you know, shirts and, and, and T-shirts and helmets and stuff before we get into training camp. We put the pads on and start hitting each other and getting ready to uh, christen the 2017 uh, season. So, um you know, looking forward to the countdown of days between now and the beginning of the season getting smaller and smaller. Uh, I think we're the, you know, the NFL, if you follow them on Twitter, they have that countdown where, you know, once they get inside of 100 days, you know, you see a different player's jersey number uh, come up. And I, I know we've seen 199 so far. I'm not sure where in the 90s we're at now, but it's getting shorter all the time pretty soon we're going to start getting into the 80s with wide receivers and tight ends and and so on and so forth so um looking forward to when we can start looking at the the jersey numbers that have quarterback and wide receiver numbers on them so we're getting from the teens and down uh from there so um anxious to get this season started because i want to answer the question you know what is this year going to be uh for the bears is it going to be another 2016 where we're really just gritting our teeth and getting through it as best we can? Or are we going to be looking forward to seeing our team play on Sundays, you know, excited at the possibility of what could happen on the field as opposed to (laughs) admitting defeat before we even turn the TV on at noon on Sunday? So, you know, lots of time before between now and then before any of those questions can be answered, but interesting at the prospect of what those answers could be. So 
Uh, that is going to do it for now. Uh, like I said, we'll be back later this week or at the end of the over the weekend, I should say, with Kyle Phelps from the Cincy page on uh, on SB Nation as we move our way through the AFC North and into the NFC South and then into our brother in the NFC North to finish off the offseason and get into the regular uh, the preseason and the regular season uh, and so on. So um, keep your eyes peeled. We'll have Kyle Phelps on the show. Until then, my name is Larry D. And this has been the Chicago Bears Review. Review.